People can be difficult. You know this, and you don't have to look far to find an example. Just think about your own family. Think about the crowd that gathers at your yearly family reunion or Thanksgiving dinner. Is there a couple who always shows up telling everyone else how to live their life? Or someone that always has to be the center of attention? What about the person who has the story that can top everyone else's story no matter what it is? You know what I mean, your son made the honor roll but their daughter was valedictorian. You had a bad cold last month, they had walking pneumonia. Doesn't matter if what you say is good or bad, they can always top you. Anyone have a relative like that? I think some of us do. Think about where you've worked. Is there that one coworker who has never anything positive to say about anything? You reach all of your goals, but they are still critical of how you do your job. Around the water cooler or the lunch table, they find fault with everyone and everything. I've worked with a few people like that, not here, of course, but before I got into ministry. What about your circle of friends? Is there that one friend that reminds you of the classic Saturday Night Live character, Debbie Downer? If you've never saw those sketches, Debbie Downer is the friend who goes on and on about all the tragic events in the world. See, there are Debbie Downers around us, those who can throw cold water on any party and ruin even the best events. Now, I have to warn you about something. If you can't think of a family member or a coworker or a friend this morning in your life who is challenging to deal with, then maybe, maybe the problem is you. This last spring, I had several conversations with a variety of people that focused on a topic that just kept coming up over and over again. And the question people were asking was, how do I deal with toxic people in my life? Does the Bible offer us any guidance on how to handle a toxic relationship? And the more I read and heard, the more I'm convinced that we, are, we all have challenging and difficult people in our life, and at times toxic people. Sometimes we think we can change them. Sometimes we think we can save them or keep them from reaching. And so we keep reaching out to them, but what often ends up happening is that we don't lift them up. They bring us down. The Bible has something to say about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. In 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 17, again, Paul says, Avoid profane chatter, for it will lead people into more and more impiety, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Gangrene? Now that's harsh. Have you ever seen gangrene? Maybe you haven't, but let, let's just say it's horrific. Gangrene is when a portion of your flesh dies, and the danger of the disease is that it slowly spreads, and your skin turns black, and your flesh and your muscles decay. It will make your fear of spiders and bats seem like nothing. But that is what the Apostle Paul says happens when we associate with toxic people for too long. Spend too much time around the wrong people and our morals will decay, our faith will weaken, and our spirit will die. So let's look at some of the to toxic relationships in our life because we aren't always talking about people who are evil or violent or psychotic. Sometimes we're just talking about the kind of people we interact with each and every day. 
In his book, Soul Detox, Craig Rochelle talks about three types of toxic people who can be dangerous both to our faith and to our spirit. The first one uh, of those are the chronic critics. These are the people who find fault with everything. The weather's too hot, it's too dry, the room is too hot or too cold, the meal at the restaurant is never good enough, the service is never fast enough, the cost is always too high. All they know how to do is pick things apart. You might not believe this, but there are a few people like that even in churches. Again, I, uh, I have said this, uh, there are far fewer in this church than any I've ever, church I've ever served, but I have been in churches where all some people seem to say is that the music's too loud, the song's too slow, the room's too cold, the preaching's too long, always finding fault. While I've encountered a few church members like this through the years, I'm thankful I've never had a congregation full of them, but there is somebody who did. His name was Moses. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, uh, we read that after God delivered the people of Israel out of slavery, we might think that they just might be thankful to God. Instead, they become chronic complainers. Right after God parted the Red Sea to save them, they turn around and they start, start complaining to Moses about not having enough food and water. They start complaining about everything. They actually said that they would have pervert, preferred to die as slaves in Egypt than struggle for food as a free people in God's promised land. But the criticism wasn't over. Even though God provided for them everywhere they went, every time they arrived in a new uh, location, they would start complaining all over again. Look at Exodus chapter 17, the first four verses. Their critical spirit keeps them from seeing the hand of God at work in, among them, and their critical spirit begins to drag Moses down. He gets frustrated, and he cries out to God. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Repidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. Now, can you imagine being the leader? The leader of thousands of people who were constant complainers? Constant critics? You see, Chronic critics are toxic people in our life. And the Bible reminds us that bad company will ruin good character. Now there's a second set of toxic people we have to deal with sometimes, and they are the constant controllers. These are the people who want to control every aspect of our life. They can be that overbearing parent who starts setting out our clothes, you know, for us in kindergarten, but then never stops. And before long, they're choosing our friends and our college and our career and our spouse. And over the years, I've done more than a few weddings that had that kind of controlling mother at the helm. 
Sometimes the mother of the bride, sometimes the mother of the groom. And I've seen a couple of times where the relationship between the parent and the bride or the groom was so toxic and the relationship so dysfunctional that the marriage lasted only a short time. But did you know that Jesus also had some controlling people to deal with in his life? In fact, his family was very controlling. In Mark's gospel, the third chapter, it tells the story about how Jesus had just begun his ministry when some negative publicity started spreading about who Jesus was and what he was doing. And his family came and they tried to get him to come home. And it says they tried to restrain him because people thought he was crazy. See, Jesus' family tried to control his life and his ministry, but so did his disciples. When Jesus first makes it clear that he was going to carry a cross and to die, Peter, one of the disciples, said to him, no way, Jesus, I will not allow that to happen. See, Peter was trying to control the direction of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus' response to Peter was, get behind me, Satan. Jesus was not going to be controlled. I could go on and on all day about controllers, but for now let's just say that they are toxic because they will always pull us away from who God wants us to be. Now the third major group of toxic people we need to look at are the tantalizing tempters. These are the people who encourage us to do those things that we know we shouldn't do. These are the friends who encouraged us to drink and to smoke when we were young. But they're the same ones who tell us that we need to have nicer clothes and a nicer car as older adults. <clears throat> These are those high school friends we reconnect with on Facebook but haven't seen uh, mature beyond high school. And they're still gossiping, they're still bullying, they're still talking and making fun of people. It's very tempting to fall into their way of thinking and acting because we still want to fit in with them even though that we know that this way of life is wrong and it's pulling us away from God. The relationship with a tempter can be dangerous because we can find ourselves going down a slippery slope. For example, it starts with the person at work who tells the off-color joke. And at first we laugh because we want to fit in, but then we find ourselves being the one who's repeating the joke. Or it's the one in our circle of friends who loves to gossip, and while we resist at first and we just keep our mouth shut, eventually we find ourselves wanting to share that little bit of news with somebody else. You see, it's tempting to go along with the crowd so we feel validated and accepted, but if we're tempted to do things that we know are wrong, that relationship is toxic, and in time it will destroy both our faith and our life. The biblical answer to all of these toxic relationships can be summed up in two words, good fences. A fence keeps in what is good, and it keeps out what is bad. Years ago, when we moved into the parsonage at the church we served in Battle Creek, I asked the trustees if they would fence in the backyard. There was a small lake that bordered our backyard, and we had three very young children at the time, and they agreed. The fence protected the kids from the hazards of the water, and it kept out that which was bad, like the snapping turtles that seemed to like our backyard. In much the same way, if we are dealing with toxic relationships, we need to learn how to build some good fences, which means setting healthy boundaries. 
Now let's be clear, this does not mean we have to dump all the people in our life who drive us crazy. But we do need to establish healthy boundaries so that those who are toxic don't bring us down and destroy our health and our faith. I want you to hear uh, the words of Psalm 26, the first five verses. In these, in these verses, the, the psalmist is making it clear that he will not associate with people who will bring him down or corrupt his character. And he's going to spend his time in good places. Listen to what he says. Declare me innocent, O Lord, for I have acted with integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart, for I am always aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to your truth. I do not spend time with liars or go, on, go along with hypocrites. <clears throat> I hate the gatherings of those who do evil, and I refuse to join in with the wicked. Now I want to go back for a moment to the situation where Peter was trying to control Jesus. Jesus set a healthy boundary by telling Peter to get behind him or get out of his way. At that moment, Jesus effectively put Peter outside of the fence where he couldn't control the situation. But Peter doesn't stay outside the fence. Jesus didn't dump Peter as a disciple. Peter didn't quit the group. But Peter did learn that he was not the one who was going to control Jesus' future. The relationship worked to become healthy again. When Jesus' family wanted to take him home and keep him quiet, Jesus set another healthy boundary by keeping his family literally on the outside of the house where he was teaching. Jesus didn't go out and speak to them because he knew that there was nothing he could say to them that would change their mind, and he was not going to give them a chance to change his mind and the direction of his life. Sometimes we have to establish healthy boundaries so that the toxic nature of other people doesn't poison our lives. Have you ever had a toxic person in your life who loves to get you into a conversation they know is going to drive you crazy? They call you on the phone and calmly criticize everything going on in the church or in your life. They know all the right buttons to push to get you worked up. I found that answering machines and voicemail are great inventions. If you know that toxic person is going to push your buttons, you have the opportunity to screen your calls. And once you set that boundary and start screening your calls, that person is no longer has the ability to drive you crazy. Their toxic nature is no longer going to make you sick because you're able to contact them on your terms, on your schedule, and usually with people around you who can encourage you and support you, and it's a good, healthy boundary to set. It's a good fence. Setting healthy boundaries with people doesn't mean we automatically cut them out of our life. It means that we protect ourselves from their toxic words and behaviors and actions. We can still have a relationship with them, I, I have still been able to be the pastor for some toxic people who drive me crazy while finding ways to make that relationship a bit healthier. But unfortunately, there are times when relationships are so toxic, so unhealthy, that we do need to cut them off altogether. And this needs to happen because it needs to come after all other options, things like counseling and prayer and honest conversation and gentle but clear uh, confrontation has taken place. But I want you to know that there are times when it is okay to walk away from toxic people. Jesus did. 
While many people followed Jesus, don't forget that there were many people who didn't, and Jesus left many people behind. There was a rich man that Jesus said needed to get rid of his attachment to his wealth if he wanted to follow him, and the rich man didn't want to do that, so the Bible says he went away, and Jesus let that man go. In essence, Jesus walked away, and at times we might need to walk away from those toxic words and behaviors and actions that risk bringing us down. And if we come to the conclusion that we need to end a toxic relationship, what we need to do is work to end that relationship with as much grace and peace as possible. The other person may not be at peace or feel much grace, but we don't have to hold on to the bitterness and the anger. We just have to be at peace ourselves. If the other person isn't willing to change in order to make the relationship healthy and respect the boundaries we've established, then they can become that gangrene that slowly spreads to every other part of our life and even to our other relationships. In those cases, we might need to end the relationship completely in order to physically and emotionally and spiritually be strong again. And while it may be the last resort, we need to know that it is absolutely okay. You see, we all have toxic relationships that require us to set healthy boundaries. We establish those boundaries through prayer and through honest conversation and with others who can help us and at times walk us with us through the darkness of a toxic relationship and into the light of Christ. So this week, I hope that you take some time to think about the toxic people in your life and how you can build some good fences. Think of your most significant relationships, whether that's at work or in the family or among your friends. Do you have any chronic complainers? Do you have any constant controllers or tantalizing tempters? Are these people spiritual liabilities or are they spiritual assets in your life? What kind of boundaries do you need to establish with those who are toxic in order to protect your life and your family and your faith and other relationships that are important to you? Who are the people you you need to reach out to to help you build some good fences? And I pray that you can also ask yourself honestly if you are the toxic person who needs help, who needs to change. And if you are, let God and, and others help Uh, with those relationships so that they can be strong? What kind of impact are you making on the lives of other people? Are you the critical, controlling, or tempting person? Are you a spiritual asset or a spiritual liability? How can you become less toxic in your relationship with other people? And a good place to start is just to start examining your own words and messages that you share with others to see how toxic they are. You see, dealing with difficult relationships in our life requires a lot of prayer, prayer for wisdom and knowing how to move forward in all of our relationships and praying for those who are toxic in our life. Next week, we're going to go a little deeper into this subject about several types of relationships that are in our life that are liabilities and not assets, and we're gonna talk about how to cut off some of those unhealthy ones. But we're also gonna look at some major indicators that will help help us decide if a relationship is toxic or not. And again, we're gonna dig into some scripture that will help us, I think, in this process. So I hope you'll be here. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, you know all about us. 
you know the struggles that relationships can sometimes bring in our life. And I simply ask today for all who are dealing with a relationship that is toxic and destructive that you bring healing to the hurt in their heart. God, take away the pain and fill your people with love and joy and patience and understanding and help us never to surrender to the challenges that come our way, but instead to draw on your mercy so that we might experience your blessing. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayer. Amen.